Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. Every episode, we explore this topic with men and women who have some incredible stories to tell us, and many have made sharing the reality of life after death their life's purpose. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on the show, I am thrilled to introduce you with a wonderful gentleman named Arson Marsubian. He's a 78-year young man who's had three heart surgeries and in the recovery process found the secret for living a fulfilled and happy life. He has been called Ageless Attitude Ambassador, and he goes by the name of Papa Soub. He's the owner and CEO of Soub Enterprises, covering life insurance sales, his work as an author and speaker and event planner. Soub is an acronym for Arson's philosophy, success on a daily basis, optimism as a philosophy of life, overachieve in every task, belief in God and the universe. He has over seven decades of experience in both government service and private business and is the recipient of several awards in both fields. His new book is titled, Don't Die, Three Essential Truths for Your Fulfilled and Happy Life. And I will have him tell us all about it on the show today. So welcome to We Don't Die Radio, Papa Soub. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. I appreciate that. Well, I just had a smile on my face when I was talking to you earlier and reading it, so I have a sneaky suspicion this will be a feel-good interview. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking looking forward to it. It's always good to talk about uh, uh, life's experiences. It, well, and it's interesting, too, because my book's called We Don't Die, and yours is simply called Don't Die, and they have two different meanings, And um, but we share something, you know, those words in common. And the first question I always like to ask my guests, because the show is We Don't Die, is why uh, do you believe in life after death and that we don't die? Well, I'm pretty, pretty sure we don't die. Uh, uh, I'm a child of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've studied the Bible. Uh, I've given my uh, my life to Christ, and so from the readings of the Bible, we are assured that the soul will continue to live. The question is where. Right. So there, there's no question in my mind that uh, uh, that there is life after death. Uh, there is the. This is just a, a, a dress rehearsal. Uh, in fact, I'm working on another book right now uh, that's called a, a Heartbeat Away, and it's going to be dealing with uh, th- those those times when it's just you're here and then you're gone, and it's literally a heartbeat and a blink of an eye that life changes. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, in my book. Now, there's there's two stories in the book I think that are relevant to uh, the discussion for our audiences. Okay. One is uh, my own experience when I had a second heart surgery within 70 days of the first one, and I was on the operating table for 13 hours, and in intensive care for four days. Uh, the doctors never told me that uh, I was in danger of flatlining. Mm-hmm. 
But during the four-day period of time of recovery, uh, I had many experiences that told me that uh, I was getting ready to leave uh, this earth. And um, so I will can share some of those. Yeah, that, if you would. Yeah. <coughs> and, I think yeah. it's important yeah, to hear yeah. stories. And I think you you know yeah. that as being an author and speaker. Stories that, make a difference. Well, that's that's one story I want to tell. Okay. Uh, and the other story uh, is about my mother. And uh, she's also in the book uh, in, in several uh, different things. Uh, the story I'm going to relate uh, about my mother uh, is, is not in the book. Okay. But but it is relevant to uh, her experience that uh, that she had a, a near death experience, and and uh, she when she told me about it, there wasn't any you know video cameras and and, and things that in uh, that nature. This was in the seventies when uh, she was telling me some of her eighties, and uh, I, I still regret to this day not recording it mm-hmm. from uh, just audio. As a standpoint, but it was a, it was a fascinating story that uh, that she told me. So let me uh, let's start with mom's story. Okay. Let's start with mom's story. My mom was about eighty two years old at the time. She had just had a, a gallbladder uh, surgery, very uh, serious uh, surgery that she had, and and uh, she lived alone at the time. And after her surgery, she came home and um, was was recovering. And then a couple of days uh, later, I was was talking to her and she said, uh, Sonny, I, I want to uh, tell you tell you what happened. And I don't know if it was a dream or or what it was, but I, I had a strange experience that I want to relate to you. So I said, well, sure, mom, what you know? What is it? Now you have to remember that uh, a little background about my mom. She only had a sixth grade education. Okay. And she it was uh, born in Armenia, and uh, the oldest of uh, six children. And but my mother was a uh, very very psychic, and she used to read cards for ladies or uh, use regular playing cards as a medium to give advice. And I always thought that was kind of strange, but uh, (laughs) an amazing thing about it was that she could tell people's past, not the future. They they would come to her and and she would say, you know, you were married twice and you, you know, your first husband was a drunk and you got two children and, and, and and ladies would just sit there and their mouths would drop open because these were people she had never met before. Right. And, uh, of course, when you would tell the future, you could say, you know, in three weeks, three months, three years time, you're going to take a trip. Well, that, that's probably going to happen to most people. Yes. exactly. And, and so I, I was never into that. But the, 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 when she could tell the past, I, I knew that she she had some some abilities and she was very, very uh, intuitive. And so. So now when she gets ready to tell me her story about what what happened, and my mother was also raised uh, in the Armenian church, so she was not uh, really versed in the Bible. She had not uh, read uh, extensively uh, at that time or studied the Bible or was with, quote, let's say, uh, a Christian or believer. Mm -hmm. So we we have to preface that with what 
what comes now in the story. So she starts off by telling me that she was uh, in a meadow. She woke up and she was in this meadow and it was beautiful with flowers and, and the bright light and, and shiny place. And then she came upon this place with had big, big doors, giant doors. And she looked around and she started opening the doors and she heard a voice that said, uh, who are you? What are you, what are you doing here? And she said, well, where am I? And they said, well, you're, you're not supposed to be here. And she says, but I want to come in. So she opened the door, a little persistent. Right. <laughs> and so she says, when she, she opened the door, she entered this great big room and she saw 12 tables, round tables, huge. And a man in, in a religious garb, as she explained it, sitting behind each table. And there was 12 tables. Hmm. And on each table was a giant book. And she, and the man said, well, she says, I want to come in. And he said, well, is your name written in the book? And she said, what book? She says, in the book of life. And he goes, uh, she says, well, I don't, uh, I don't know. I've been a good person. I don't know, you know, uh, if my name is in the book. And he said, well, you, if his name's not in the book, you can't come in. She says, well, where is this place? She says, well, I, you, you know, this, this is, you're not supposed to be here yet. Huh. And so she presses a little further and she says, well, is my mother here? Said, yes, she said. Well, I want to see my mother. And she said, "Well, you can't." And she said, "Well, I, I please. I, I I want to see my mom." So he said, "Okay." So they they took her into a room, and she said there was all these ladies lined up, just standing there, and she went down until she found her mother, and then his voice said, "You can see your mother, but don't touch her, because if you touch her, she'll burn." Don't touch her. She thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, sounds strange. Yeah, and so she said, fine. So after that, then she wants to see her dad. Now, this time they're telling her, look, you have to go back. You do not belong here. This, you're, you're not here yet. It's not your time yet. So that she finally gets in to see her dad. And same story, all men in the room and, and all the rest of it. And so she she sees that, and then she finally says that they they tell her that it's not her time to be there. She has to leave. Well, she says that she then leaves, and she wakes up in a cold sweat. She said, I was so drenched. Just her, her entire bedding mm -hmm. had to be replaced and everything else, and just the total sweat. And she was literally shaking from, from the experience. Well, years later, again, this is a, a woman who had not read the Bible, but the Bible is very clear. It talks about in order to get into heaven, your name has to be written in the book of life. Oh. And we have the, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, which would be the 12, 12 men in, in clergy in mm -hmm. the tables. So it was a it was quite of an experience uh, for her, 
she was very convinced later uh, after she did start reading the Bible. I got her Bible with big print so she could read it mm -hmm. and, and, and start studying. But it was very, very real to her uh, that she had entered heaven and had, and had a conversation and had come back. And so that was the, the first personal family experience where she, where we had somebody in the family who had, had made that journey and, right. uh, and come back. But there wasn't anything where a doctor, you know, proclaimed her dead or that she was uh, gone or anything else. And so whether that was a dream, whether it was a, a after death experience, uh, I don't know. Who knows, but it was vivid to her. And um, did it make a difference in her life? Yes, made a big difference in her life. After that, she really wanted to know. Uh, she started coming to uh, uh, evangelical uh, church with me mm -hmm. and, and, and my kids. And uh, uh, I got her a big print Bible and she started to read the Bible. Uh, she said she was amazed at uh, what she would read and what she would hear at the message on Sundays was so relevant and, and, and so close together. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to be with her when uh, she uh, accepted the Lord in her in her personal life and so i know i'll see her again so that's a, that was that was a great experience mm -hmm. and today's her birthday in fact oh. today, uh, august 16th is uh uh is uh is is we uh, my kids used to call her maga it was that was her nickname so that was uh, happy birthday maga yeah and my dad's was. birthday's coming up august 28th so i'm how, and how old is Dad, uh, Sandra? Dad would be. Uh -huh. Oh, I'd have to do the math. Well, Isn't that sad? He died when he was yeah. seventy-four, um, mm -hmm. and that was four years ago. So, seventy-eight. Yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah. yeah. Been right about my age. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's yeah, just why there's something comforting about talking to you right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how about your story? When you went through your, you said it was your second heart surgery. Yeah, I had uh, uh, I had bypass surgery in October of uh, '99, mm -hmm. and uh, it was kind of a strange and emergency type of uh, not an emergency, but the doctors convinced me that I needed to have uh, three bypasses, uh, which I really didn't think that I needed, but the, they said I did, mm -hmm. and. Um, so they, but they went in and he did it, uh, and they did five instead of three. But in 30 days, when I went back for a, a physical to see if I could go into rehab, the doctors told me after about uh, 20 seconds on the treadmill to get off, uh, they did another series of tests and came in and said, we don't know how to tell you this, but four of the five graphs that we did have all collapsed and all of the blood's going back through the clogged arteries. Hmm. And I said, well, what do we do now? They said, well, we can wait a year because it's too soon to do the surgery now. Because uh, if we opened you up, uh, we could, you could start to bleed and we wouldn't be able to stop it. And it's too dangerous. No, we can't, can't do that surgery at this time. So I said, well, man, how lucky can I get? And uh, they said, well, it only happens about 2% of the time. And, so I was on the process of trying to 
get my life back in order and, and diet and exercise and, and try to live for another year to do the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody came into my life and, and suggested I get a second opinion and, and actually worked it out where I was uh, introduced to the doctors at the UCLA Medical Center, which I had no idea how I was ever going to get into a place like that. But uh, the person came into my life that knew somebody who knew somebody that right. uh, had been there. Uh, I went. The doctors did uh, separate examinations and tests and said, we can do the surgery, but it's four times more dangerous than the first one. Oh, jeez. Uh, and it's possible that, uh, that, you, uh, that you don't make it. The, doc- the other doctors are correct. If we get in there and uh, you, you start bleeding, it could be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can do the surgery if you want to do it. I said, well, let me think about it. You know, and, and my daughter was going to get married and, and uh, everything else in, in between. But uh, I had a, a mild heart attack, which so took care of the decision whether I was going to do this or not. So I ended up at UCLA Medical Center on um, the 15th of uh, December, 1999. And the surgery was then scheduled for seven days later which turned out to be my 65th birthday. Wow. And uh, we went in and it took them three hours to open my chest, to get through the, uh, the old scar tissue and everything else and to, to get in. Uh, 13 hours uh, on the table and before they you know start to finish and got everything finished up. But during the time of recovery is when I had the most profound experience that that, uh, that I've ever had. Uh, at, at one point, I, I really thought that one of the nurses was trying to kill me. I mean, they, and they thought I was on, on drugs uh-huh. between, between all of the drugs and the surgery and, and uh, the medication that I was on, that I was hallucinating, that, uh, that nothing, nothing I was telling them was real. But I could have people come into my room that brought absolute darkness and my room would get totally dark and I could see at the end of this vast darkness there was a figure waiting at the other end and I couldn't make out the figure but it had a beard and and thing and I kept thinking is that my doctor couldn't remember what my doctor looked the surgeon looked like Mm -hmm. and I said who is that figure and, and it was it was dark, but then I started to to think about people who said they were going to pray for me. Right. And I said, well, just see, uh, Tom said he was going to pray for me, and and so thank you, Tom. And uh, and as I started to think about Tom, a little tiny cross appeared in the darkness in the room. And from that little cross came a light and it started to illuminate the darkness. And of course, that, that's what, what God is. That's what we have. That's why we see the light mm-hmm. so much because it disperses the darkness. But then as I would turn my, my attention away from it, the cross would be gone and the darkness would come back and I would really be in a very, very dark place. And I was being drawn towards this this figure through this darkness and I didn't want to go I kept fighting it kept going back and forth and fighting it 
And so uh, I, I started thinking about more people and, and, uh, and praying. And the more I prayed, the, the more the crosses would, would light up the room. And then also, and, and then people would come into the room. Uh, uh, some of my children would come in. My youngest son would come in, Brian. Right. And uh, he brought a, a ton of crosses with him. He brought a lot of crosses. Uh, and, and unfortunately, there were some people who would come in a room, and I would just tell them, you have to leave because they brought darkness with them. There was a, feel, a force around different people. Which was always uh, was was amazing to me. Well, yes, yeah. I, mean, I think we, if you don't mind me, just yes. breaking in for a second. Sure. Um, you know, I'm imagining you lying there recovering and then having these experiences. And I know from some of the different research I've done, like we can often very often pick up negative and positive vibrations that people have or we go into a place and it just you know we always use the expression oh it's got bad vibes not really knowing what it means but it's from what I'm visualizing as you're telling the story like you're actually seeing the darkness or the negativity that's surrounding someone and then when your son comes in you're noticing the light and the good and then the more you think positively and pray and think about people praying for you the more light that comes in am i getting that right you're absolutely right Sandra. that's okay. exactly what was happening and, and it was hard to explain to people what was what was happening they were going arson what's happening and i'm going uh i, I can't explain it and i'm telling this is this is what's going on mm -hmm. uh, i'm not going to make it and they're going dad you're you know uh and, and i'm constantly checking the monitors that were behind me and so I'm craning my neck to go a different direction. I got all these tubes and wires and things wrapped around. And so there's just all kinds of experiences happening at the same time. But I just imagine my little hospital room mm -hmm. is where the dark, where the darkness was, but then this the whole field force. And it was really like the valley of the shadow of death that, that I was going through it. And, 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 and the more I would concentrate uh, on on Christ and, and uh, other believers, and things things would 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 start to illuminate and and the darkness would gone. But there'd always be enough of it left that when I'd open my eyes or I changed my concentration, the the darkness would would fill the room again. Wow! So it, it wasn't a constant. You know, it, once it illuminated, you keep, you keep going back and forth. And the other thing I have to really confess is there was a, a, a dark period in my life, mm -hmm. so that. Uh, uh, we, we often hear people talk about the bright light and seeing heaven and, and, and going through that. I, I, I can tell you, to me, I was, it was in the opposite direction uh, with that. There's no question that there was, there was evil standing at the other side of the darkness, but my faith in Christ, and, and uh, uh, he won't leave you. So I was being pulled and being drawn back out of that, out of that darkness. Now I have this, what I'm sharing with you is interesting. Is that I haven't shared this publicly before. I've, I've told some family members and some friends about it, but I really haven't shared this experience uh, publicly. So it's kind of, and, and I'm, you know, it was, it was 1999, so I'm pulling pulling back on sure. on, on what happened. But now here's the it, <laughs> here was the funniest thing that happened during during this period of time. The, the nurse that I thought was trying to kill me, it was, it was an Armenian girl, of all things. Uh, 
And, and that was another thing that when I first came out of surgery, I had uh, a, a young girl and she was talking to me in Armenian. And I thought, my gosh, I must, I must have died, gone to heaven. <laughs> and so, so how, can I, how can I get a nurse that's right. talking to me in my, my native language and uh, just telling me it's okay, you're going to be okay, Mr. Marsuvian, you know, and, uh, and everything else. And so the two nurses I had, the first two or three days out of surgery, the day nurse, night nurse were both Armenian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was really, really strange. Uh, the, the, that went. But the night nurse, for some reason, I thought she had left the valve open uh, in one of the arteries that uh, they were doing for the veins that taking blood and everything else. They had that all set up. And uh, I, I thought she let that out so that it was going to drip blood and I was going to bleed to death. Mm-hmm. So I, I made such a fuss that they, they actually changed the nurse and, uh, and, and put me in a different room and, and gave me a different nurse uh, for that period of time. Well, now we, we fast forward and I have a dream and I have an, an encounter and I have three people standing there and I have a voice that's telling me, you have to get one of these people to say that they love Jesus. And I'm going, what? So you have to get one of them to say that they love Jesus. And, and one of them is this nurse that I think is trying to kill me. So I pick her. And, and I call her over and I tell her, do you believe in Jesus? And she says, well, I go to church. You know, I go to the army in church and, you know, apostolic. And I said, I didn't ask you that if you go to church. Right. I'm asking you, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yes, I'm, you know, I, uh, I, I believe that, you know, there's a God and, and, and we should go back and forth. And so I guess I escalated my voice and I finally said, I want you to say the words, I love Jesus. So finally she does like, almost she's gonna placate me. She says, okay, yes, I do. I, I, I love Jesus. As soon as she said it, the entire darkness was gone instantly. The room just lit up bright. It was just, it, it was the, the brightest light I think I had ever seen. And, and all of the darkness was gone. The figure was gone. Everything was gone. I called my kids in and said, okay, you guys can all go home now. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Uh, I'm going to make it. This, the, the, to, to me, the threat of, of dying was completely gone. 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 Just with, uh, with that act. Now I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm out of intensive care. I'm in the hospital bed. I'm getting, getting better before they'll send me home. And I see the nurse walk by my my room, so I yelled to her and actually call her in. And I, I sheepishly asked her. I said, "You know, I, I really want to apologize." I said because I I guess I was saying things that I thought you were trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of laughed. She says, "Well, we go through that a lot. We know people with on medication and they say things and do things. So don't you know? Don't worry about that." And I said. Um, did I ask you to, to say that you love Jesus? And she said, uh, yes. And I said, uh, was, that, uh, was that quiet? You know, and I said, <laughs> I did it. She said, uh, no. She said, after about the second or third time when I didn't say it, she said, everybody in the ward Heard could you. hear could hear me, <laughs> could hear you. And I'm going, oh, no, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't that loud. 
She said, oh, yes, Mr. Marsubian. She said, you were very emphatic and you were very loud. She said, uh, I, I had no choice. And I said, well, I, I want to thank you for that because uh, uh, you, you, you have no idea what you did for me with, with just that, that statement. And uh, so anyway, that was, that was the experience I had in the, in the hospital. And, and uh, I, I fortunately came home on uh, December 31st and, and my life hasn't been, uh, my life hasn't been the same since. I, I can't imagine. And I want to hear a little bit about that, but there's just something that's in my mind is just how powerful word is and our words are. I mean, we always hear about the power of our thoughts and, and um, energy and all that stuff, but you know two things one is to have her declare that and have it really transform your experience to you're going to live but also my instinct is and I do believe in God and Jesus and certainly higher power and all that but if you're an individual that can get somebody to share that and and open them up um, you know I, I think many of us if not all of us have missions on this earth and you just demonstrated your ability to change a life and and help someone believe so if i were god i'd keep you around for a few more days because of that and uh <laughs> and inspire you to you know do with what you did next which is and if you could talk about a, a bit about like what you've created because you're all about living life and maybe you could tell the story of why you picked the title don't die as your book well there was there was two reasons for the for the book once it was going to be that i I wanted something that would catch people's eye and and also that was the opposite of actually what the book is about right you know there's the episode tracks that was the one reason the other reason was the story about the the great entertainer george burns but the book is the 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 subtitle is the, the three essential truths for your fulfilled and happy life. Mm-hmm. So there's there's three major things in the book about what I experienced and how I came out of the, the depression and, and the period of time after the surgery and the, the, the years afterwards before I actually turned my life around. Uh, and and that, that's an interesting story because it happened almost 10 years to the date of my surgery and about 10 miles away from UCLA Medical Center in downtown Los Angeles when I really kind of turned things, turned things around in my uh, in my life, but um, the other reason was that the great entertainer George Burns, uh, one day was being interviewed by a reporter, and he had a cigar in his mouth and a drink in his hand and had all these beautiful starlets around him, and the reporter asked him, "So, Mr. Burns." Tell me, what's what's the you know he's he's ninety five at this point. Mm-hmm. At this, and he's, they asked him, Mr. Burns, what's the secret to long life? George took a cigar out of his mouth very slowly, leaned into the camera, big smile on his face, and he said, "Don't die." <laughs> that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? That, that says I it all. I can picture him saying that as well. <laughs> And, uh, but for some reason, I never forgot that, that phrase. No. And so when I was going through titles for my book, and I had many of them, I, you know, they tell you to, to write out oh, yes. 10 or 15 different sure. titles for, you know, for books. And, um, I just, that just kept coming back and I'm going, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going with don't die. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
so that's that's how the, that's where the title uh, that's where the title came from. And w- can you talk a little bit about your three essential truths? Sure. And I'm hoping everybody will hit up your website and Amazon and get your book. But just I'd really like to leave myself, you, and everybody listening with something powerful for their life today. So well, anything you can share to that with us would be great. Thank you. Uh, I, you know, we have a, a, a mutual friend in Lynn Rose. Yes. And, and Lynn was the one that gave me the, the, the title of Ageless Attitude Ambassador. She's she said, "You're always up, and you're always just so, so bubbly and and exciting, and and uh, of course, being around people like you know, like Lynn, to make it, it's easy to do that. It sure is. She's lovely. Yeah. Uh, so once I was I was playing golf like 175 rounds of golf uh, a year when I was was retired for about three or four years, wow. and and I had the ideal life in the 70 year old, and you know, was single and playing golf, doing whatever I wanted to do, and had my kids and my grandkids. I really had the ideal retired life, but I was getting very depressed, you know, and we just lost a great entertainer in Robin Williams because of, from, from depression and, 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 and suicide and stuff. So sure. de- depression is a very real thing. And, and I've had enough psych background and, and, and experience in, in mental health and uh, issues to recognize what was going on. But I was going through this thing, and then through a series of events and stuff, I met Les Brown and Lynn Rose, and I started to get back into speaking. I started to go into seminars. I started to do, started learning again. I started to use my mind, mm-hmm. and uh, started to develop more of a purpose in life instead of just getting up in the morning and going to play golf, come back, have dinner, take take a shower, rest, do watch TV, get up in the morning, go play more golf. Right. And I started to realize that the depression started to leave. I started to feel more alive. So I thought, well, what, what, what's this? As I went through the book and, and the, the thought of putting the book together, I thought learning and using and being transformed by the renewing of your mind is really critical. Mm-hmm. This is, so I started to, to do that. So one of the truths is that you have to keep learning. You know, you have to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. Every living creature, everything is birth, planted, grows, levels off, and without a new infusion of meaning, starts to die. Mm-hmm. Well, the secret then is, is that you start to level off and start to die. In order to keep living is you have to have a new birth and a new start. And learn something new. Do something that you're passionate about. Do something. So in retirement at 65 and 70 and 75, what is it that you really want to do in life? Get right. started and do it. Start doing it now. Learn it, prepare, and do it. Okay. This, which brings us to the second thing, which is to stay active. Whether that's to, to go to the gym, whether that's swimming, whether that's golf, whether it's bowling, whether it's hiking, whether it's fishing, whether it's whatever it is whatever. that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, get up and do it. And we talk about it in the book of saying, suit up and get in the game. Stop being just a spectator. Get in the game. It's more fun in the game it is. than it is to just sitting out there and watching other people make a good living. Right. Don't sit there and watch television and watch other people make a good living and do things and, and hope that uh, 
Maybe, gee, wish I, someday I would do that. No, get up and do it. The third thing, which is probably the most important, Sandra, is to give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Yep. But in the giving, and what that really means is not money. If, if you have money to give, then that's, that's wonderful. But it's your time and it's your talents and it's your life's experience that you can share with others. And there's a thing that says that when you're more concerned about the welfare of others than you are about your own, that's really when life starts to happen. It's when you start to make a major, major difference in life. And one of the surveys that uh, that's in the book and a study that was done by students at Southeast University years ago under the direction of Dr. Anthony Campolo, he sent the students out to, to interview 50 people over the age of 95. And he asked them the question, if you had your life to live over, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of different answers, but there were three things, all of them, said and said if if we can't learn with 50 people over the age of 95 what to do with your life you're not listening exactly and so number one was they would say that they would take more risk in life they'd run barefooted more often in the in the field they would they would just experience life more they would take more risk in life wouldn't play it so close to the vest the second thing they said that they would do is that they would be in the moment. Be present. When you're with your loved one, be with your loved one. When you're doing your work, do your work. When you're on your vacation, be on your vacation. Don't be in the office. Right. Be in the moment. Stop and smell the roses, I guess, if there is another cliche. Right. But, but we know just, what that means. Yeah. Just be there. Enjoy it. Soak it up. Jim Rowan was a, was a great one for that. She sure was. And uh, I love that guy. What a great teaching he was. You're right. Yep. And, and the third thing was to do more things that would live on in the lives of others after you're gone. So part of the mission and things now is that if the things that I can do will live on the lives of other people after I'm gone, then my life would have been of value. That's, those are awesome. And, you know, I didn't expect the third one. Take more risks. It's like, okay, I I always um, usually end the show with a great (laughs) quote that I love from Neil Donald Walsh is, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Because I believe that a lot of great things happen when we can push through our fears and take action and take those risks. And of course, being present and we spend a lot of our life thinking about something that's happened about in the past or worrying about the future, but it really is a series of being in the moment, but doing more things that will live on the, in the lives of others. That's like, I've never heard that before and I love it. Um, and what a difference, because talking about paying it forward, we always hear that expression. Um, but I think you and even me, we've documented our yes. hearts into our words, and they're now books in the universe. And long after Arson and Sandra are long gone, you know, that'll they'll still make a difference. And um, 
and even for any of us listening today you know sometimes it really is just a little thing to make a difference in somebody's life you have no idea the impact it can have and then where they pay it forward right exactly right in fact i, I gave a speech one of the uh, talks i gave uh, a little you know, short 10 minute talk was your life matters and you never know when you're going to say something or do something that's going to make a difference in somebody's life right um can I share one more story with you yes, about that? Sure. About that, and then our our time is running up, so okay. you can. This is a, this is a quick that. story about yeah. how Go your ahead. life how your life matters. Okay, I, I love was, that. I was doing a um, training on how to do videos. Okay, and um, so I, I had done all this class and everything else. I said, okay, I'm going to do a video. So I propped up my my Mac and put it on my desk, and I, and I got the FaceTime and got all ready to go and. I, I uh, memorized this story about time, and um, so okay, here I go. So now I do this little clip. It's about seven or eight minutes long about time and the importance of time. Well, and, and you and people can see it on YouTube, by the way. Go to my YouTube channel of Arsene Marsubian and on YouTube they can see the clip. Okay. But then. And so I put it out there to, to the community and said, okay, how, how, did I, how did I do? What did you guys think of the video? Blah, blah, blah. And so I'm getting feedback, but then all of a sudden I get one feedback from this lady who lives in Orlando. And she calls and she said, uh, Papa Sue, yes. And it goes, um, I got to tell you what happened. And she says, what? She goes, well, I was watching your video and I, I went to make dinner for my kids, and pretty soon my my twelve year old came in, and said, "Mom, there's a grandpa on your computer. Can I watch him?" <laughs> and she said, "What?" And so she, we went back in there and we, we started playing the the video. And she says, "I have to tell you that my father committed suicide when I was very young. The boy's other grandparent." lives in another state mm -hmm. and they don't see him very often she said so when we watched the video she said my son was so taken by by you and and, and what you had to say and i was just wondering would you be a grandpa to my kids And I thought, wow, I mean, I made such an impact on that young boy. I had no idea when I did that video that it would make such an impact on somebody's life where they thought, gee, I, I wish I had a grandpa like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, she, she encouraged me, and I haven't acted on it, but she encouraged me at the time. Uh, to do a program and reach out and and be a grandpa to a lot of kids who don't have one, and that maybe they can maybe have a virtual grandpa to answer ask questions to. That's so we, brilliant. 
You like that? I love it. And, you know, it's so interesting because just hearing you speak right now, we each live in our own skin with our own set of thoughts and a lot of them are negative and who are we and we can't make a difference and you know it's just we can't always listen to that little voice in our head we are so much more magnificent and from what you just said arson is to get out of our own way and when we make our life about um, doing something for the life of another and giving that's when we see who we really are so you know, following those passions, taking the risks, all of that, I think will, and I don't even think it, I know it, you will live a happier life, a more fulfilled life. Um, We can never, I say we never believe the little voice we have inside of our heads (laughs) that tells us who we are. If we want to know who we really are, we talk to the people in our lives. And that's how you're going to find the truth who you are. You are Papa Soub and a grandparent to all that may not have one present in their life. What a gift. Arson, Papa Soub, I am so grateful that we got to spend this time together today. Um, You know, yes, the grandfatherly thing, but, you know, I do miss my own dad. And to have a bit of, uh, I call it fatherly advice and love and, and wisdom and to hear your stories. Um, I want to thank you for that. And also I want to thank you for not just little kids that might see your video, but the big kids like me inside who will go check you out on your YouTube <laughs> video. And also you'll never know the difference that that you're making with your words and your actions. And um, God bless the Internet and that we have that available <laughs> yes, to give. Yes. But really thank you. Thank you for that all you stand for and all the giving that you do. And, you know, and yeah, sometimes it, and most of the times I think it's out of our darkness that we actually get to create who we are and what our life is for. It, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure, Sandra. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share and, and to uh, get a chance to know you better. And, and however I can ever do anything for you, please let me know. Oh, I'll take you up on that. And for yeah. our listener right now, um, you can, get a copy of Arson's book, Don't Die, Three Essential Truths for Your Fulfilled and Happy Life um, on Amazon or through his website, which is papasoob.com. So it's P-A-P-A-S-O-O-B.com. And Arson is a speaker and an author and just a tremendously wonderful man. And can I share your email? Please. It's Arson, A R S E N at the don't die book.com and i will also post i have just started a website for the radio show it's still a bit under construction but it's we don't die radio.com and in the next week or so there'll be descriptions about all of our guests and also if you fill out your name and your email address um, i include you in what's called the insiders club which i have all kinds of great freebies um, of things that I have to offer. So this is Sandra Champlain. I do believe with all of my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important and you do matter. So in the words of those 95-year-olds, take more risks, be in the moment, be present, and do more things today that will live on in the lives of others. So once again, in the words of Neil Donald Walsh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And take some action today, will you? 
and anything that we talked about today with arson just to make a difference and or go after your passion or take a risk. So thanks for being here. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.